Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen, with Mark Hazard, Merck, number six, and... And Andy, I'll be covering Kickers, Inc., number six. The New Universe was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter in 1986 with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary. It was intended to be more realistic without magic, aliens, and secret histories. We are two chemists and comics readers who are reading through the new universe, two books a week in the order they were released, describing them and commenting as we go. We'll also give the advertising copy from Marvel Age magazine number 48 in this time, which was all the previews available. Uh, we'd also like you to stop by our website, uh, www.kickersinc.com, where you can find out more about us, the new universe, and our contest, the Super Sleuth Sweepstakes. <laughs> you always struggle with that one. I don't know why I can't write it down somewhere. Um we are still running the original uh, questionnaire, Super Sleuth Sweepstakes, from uh, the New Universe issues um, three to six, at least. Yeah, it's in Mark Hazard number six. So uh, with questions about each uh, ongoing New Universe title, which the answers of which you should have been able to pick up from our own comments. Well, uh, while you're on the internet, you can also check out our friends over at the Marvel Comics New Universe Fans Facebook fan page. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting stuff being posted over there and uh, a lot of support for New Universe fans, uh, longtime fans and new fans alike. And um, one last stop would be on Twitter at Kickers Inc where uh, we update you on the podcast coming out that week. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, so this week, like I said, I'll be covering Kickers, Inc. Uh, Kickers, Inc. is a group of heroes for hire, all off-season pro football players led by Jack Magnaconti, who gains superhuman strength, speed, and invulnerability, which is important this week, uh, after the white event, at the cost of his awesome gambling scientist brother's life. <laughs> Um, so this week, what can a guy like Jack Magnaconti do when he's got impenetrable skin and he has to take a complete physical? Whatever he does, it better be good. Otherwise, his and Kicker is Kicker's Inc.'s secret is ruined. Um, uh oh. But that's not quite the story we get today because this involves a plane. So. Oh. Yeah. Um, I thought they just made you like pee in a cup usually at a physical. Probably a blood test, though, too. So I think that would be the tricky one. All right, right. Anyway, this week I'll be covering Mark Hazard Merck, who is a Vietnam veteran turned soldier of fortune whose mercenary lifestyle has cost him the love of his family. This week, the rescue of his best friend's daughter from a street gang turns Mark Hazard into a target, not only of the street gang, but of his best friend, too. 
This is actually a pretty good description for last month's issue, number five. So I'm going to assume this actually doesn't, wasn't meant for this particular issue. The plan, it did change, apparently. Things were very up in the air in the new universe for uh, significant portions of it that we've seen so far. We pulled it off. Uh, so this week, some... uh, I'd say we, we return to the Mark Hazard kill count. We do, yes. Um, if we have time, we will uh, quickly uh, discuss some of uh, the 1986 events that we've looked at uh, over these um few months. Um, 1986 was a key year in comics history, according to some uh, pros and fans alike. So these are the last New Universe issues that hit the stand that year. That's true. It's the end of 1986. Let's just detail every single thing that happened in 1986. (laughs) In every country. (laughs) I did get a, a uh, Google up a an old almanac. Um, so you get like the. Well, there's no new almanacs, right? I don't think they do that anymore. No, but uh, yeah, you can get all the info from that particular year. That's um, current populations and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah. So. That's actually kind of cool. All right, so Kickers Inc. So yeah, the, the cover date, like magazines, you know, they, they put them later so that it doesn't look like it's old and sat around too long, you know, back in the era where you could buy comic books easily in places other than the comic book store. Uh, cover date is April 87, but really it came out uh, in 1986. So I got December 30th, 1986. That's what I got um, so in our last issue of Kickers Inc., uh, they squared off against DP7. Uh, it felt like a long time ago, but it's been about a month. Um, it felt like it went on forever, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, although Magna Conti has invulnerable skin and he has deflected bullets at times, uh, <laughs> he got his face pounded in by DP7. So. <laughs> Without not- Stephanie there to heal him, he would have uh, wouldn't have been back in the game for a while. Yeah, the only, the only thing they really truly accomplished was perhaps scaring off uh, Stephanie from DP7's uh, loser husband Chuck. <laughs> so Kickers Inc., you know, <laughs> they can make a little bit of a difference, maybe. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so our, so our cover, we have a new logo. So, yeah. a, a subtle change the uh the kickers looks like it's a little more italic it's got a little bit of a slant to it and then the ball instead of being centered in the middle it looks like it's kind of sweeping across the the bottom there so it's still kickers ink uh just a little bit of a jazzier looking logo i guess uh and then on our cover uh we're inside the cockpit of a plane a lot of detail uh where someone has just shot one of the pilots <laughs> There's another guy on looking scared, a hole in the window, and uh, Jack Magnaconti with maybe a snappy new haircut, too, for this new logo. Uh, Looks a little more close cropped than his usual, like, 70s Joe Namath hair thing that he's got going on. Mm, Yeah, it does look a little more fresh. Uh, He also has a black 
uh, handkerchief tied around his neck, which is usually like red is their key thing. Uh, I'll just call that a, a lazy uh, spot color. Uh, I, don't know. I think so too. He's probably not like mourning something. <laughs> so maybe he'll be mourning the loss of his starting quarterback job if Coach Kirby has anything to do with it. What? <laughs> so the title for this one is Hijack. Uh, of course, then you turn the page and the title for this one is Out of the Blue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in real time, so in the story, we're given this as December 14th, 1986. So we're pretty close to when it came out on the shelves. <laughs> so our splash page is a great shot of uh, Coach Kirby, the coach of the New York Smashers, who never really seems particularly happy with his star quarterback that just won him the Super Bowl and all of their games this year. Um, where the bleep is Jack Magnaconti? <laughs> so it's a nice little nice page here. Um, script is uh, Tom Cavanaugh and Ron Altaville. Uh, Cavanaugh wasn't on last issue, but he did script while DeFalco did plot uh, two issues ago. I think we might have seen the last of Tom DeFalco, the creator of Kickers Inc. here. Uh, or at least this is certainly the first issue where he's not mentioned in any of the credits whatsoever. Uh, and, Wait, oh, it's not even a created by? Um, oh, man. Wow, well, yeah, no. Well, we know it was created by him, but it didn't put that in there. Tom he, wants he probably to didn't fight too issue. hard to uh, get his uh, name on that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some story there, but I'll, I'll save it for the if, if we recap the first six. But uh, and then art is uh, uh, Rod Wiggum and Tom Duzinaga as inks. Uh, I like diverse hands for letters. Like, is that a, a group? Uh, um, that's gotta, yeah, that's. I don't know. Yeah, that, that, that's a uh, like similar to something I've seen before. Divers' hands, or something like. It's a little like Shakespearean reference, or something like mm. a group of just everyone pitching in. Yeah, goodness yeah. Well, like modern comics, sometimes it'll be colored by like Color Graphics Twelve or something, like some company or whatever. But I don't know. Anyway, not really worth dwelling on, probably. Uh, so we open the issue with uh, Kirby yelling at someone in a chair. Uh, and he's basically pissed because Jack has not taken his team flight to the game. Uh, they're going up against the Washington Centurions. You know, the, N the NFL team just recently had a name change and total missed opportunity to be the Washington Centurions, which sounds cooler than Washington Commanders. Yeah, I was going to say it uh, ended up being about the same as, uh, as this old comic. Uh, in fact, that's a little better, I think. Yeah, Centurion. Washington War something. <laughs> Washington Battle Dudes. Uh, but yeah, so, so he's really annoyed that he's not part of the team and they're not exactly sure when he's going back. Uh, Coach Kirby is, does not like Kickers Inc. and he calls it a scam and a tax shelter. Uh, which it isn't. They try their best. Probably. Number one it, employer in the New York area. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, it is uh, almost everyone who talks about Kickers Inc. that's not in Kickers Inc. assumes it's a tax fraud or something. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Well, they have their successes have been kind of weird, so not exactly things they can brag about or uh, make TV commercials about. Uh, it's true. Yeah, they sort of skulk off into the night if they actually do accomplish something. And I assume there's hundreds of cases like the one that uh, sort of leads us off today that are just this was a waste of time. Right. So so we are introduced to maybe an important character, uh, Christine Chase, uh, who seems to be the New York Smashers owner. Um, so she seems to be a little bit more on Jack's side and Kirby is kind of threatening something. Right. So we get the impression that uh, Magna Conti's on thin ice. Um, he's in upstate New York, uh, so a little, little ways away from... Uh, Presuming it's Washington, D.C. and not Washington State where they're going. Yeah. Uh, he's basically in the back seat and arguing with Darlene. And he's mad that they're on a false uh, chase, you know, looking for UFOs out in the countryside kind of thing. Um, he, he comes off as kind of petty here, honestly. Like, like Darlene is the reasonable one. Yeah. Uh, but they blow a tire uh, as Jack from the back tries to kind of reach up and grab the wheel and steer them from careening off the road. Uh, he smacks his wife in the face <laughs> on accident. I've got oomph. Yeah. Oh, man. But it's a super powered accident. So I imagine that hurts. <laughs> I, uh, should I? A couple of uh, panels later, she's applying makeup like she's used to being smacked around and needing oh. to hide it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dark side to this comic I never noticed before. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not like the angry husband and he's not trying to be abusive here, but he is following the path there a little bit. <laughs> it seems a little sketchy. And he's trying to fix the car. He keeps breaking things because it's too strong. Um, yeah, I think. What is it? You've been totally out of control, physically and mentally. And he's like, "Don't start that again." Like breaks, you know, some solid metal bar by accident. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's the car jack. Oh, okay. Yeah. It took me a while to figure that out. It's not super obvious. But then, you know, he tries to lift the car from the frame, but he bends the frame because his grip is too strong. And then when he finally settles down and listens to his wife, Darlene, fellow member of Kickers Inc., uh, you know, he just kind of goes under it and pushes the frame up. And hey, that actually works. <laughs> so they're having trouble making their second flight to get to the game. So and arguing and not having a particularly good time. Um, then we cut back to Washington and the Kickers the rest of our kickers in the locker room um suicide smythe i think is officially a white guy it's uh the 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 whites uh outnumber the yeah. latino significantly at this point yes so, but yeah they're all hanging out in the locker room uh we get uh, da, 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 da. uh let's see so yeah um uh, Kirby comes in. He's still sort of annoyed with them. He's talking about how he doesn't like Kicker's Inc. Um, and basically, he's he brings in a new quarterback. Right? So uh, they have a backup quarterback 
Watkins, uh, number 17, who's been their quarterback all along. But now we get introduced to Bobby Bullet Baker, the new quarterback, number 10. This is kind of what I was hoping for with Hawkins a few issues ago. Like we'd have a little heat in the locker room and some competition for the different uh, positions on the team. If these guys were going to be gallivanting off to doing, having adventures, then we'd have back at the, the home team, they'd be like, well, I didn't really, you know, come to practice all last week. What do you, what do you, yeah, want, what do you expect? Man? We need a backup here. Yeah, the the locker room scenes are fun, but they're also a little confusing because they'll have like three other guys talking in the background, and you're like you're trying to figure out who's talking and saying what. Yeah, like because a a large it took me a minute because a large part of the conversation is from a guy who's kind of like shadowed out behind Dasher. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Yuri, you never see Yuri again, so I don't know. Hey, we might see Yuri again. We don't know. We cross our fingers, yeah. So, um, yeah, cut back to uh, Jack and Darlene trying to get to the game. Uh, Now they ran out of gas. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, um, yeah, Jack has been changing out of his Kicker's Inc. uniform this whole time. Darlene is still in her jumpsuit. Yes. Well, she doesn't have to make it to the game, I guess. But um, So they run out of gas. He decides he's going to make a run for it using his hours basically thinks he can go get back in like 15 minutes with gas uh, you can see him kind of like blasting past and outrunning a deer um, when he gets back there's a fun little thing where the, the radio is playing at 10 50 a.m here's a little number for all you smashers fans getting psyched for today's 2 p.m knockoff against or kickoff against the washington centurions drop kick me jesus through the goalposts of life i had forgotten about that song <laughs> I, I, that's a real song. I did not even. Uh, oh, it is. To look that up. Uh, Bobby Bear, drop, drop the open the line in the chorus is drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life, end over end, neither left nor to right, straight through the heart of the righteous uprights. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't hear that in some like. Uh post 9-11 rally or something like you know, <laughs> well, get I mean, the crowd little, going do football um but uh there's another line from the song i like is i've got the will lord if you've got the toe <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense but i like it i don't know what it means it's it's a slow one drop kick me jesus through the goalposts of life <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, if you haven't heard that song, look it up on YouTube. It's funny. For a speed metal version of it, you can. There probably is a speed metal version of it. <laughs> uh, so uh, they they get the car gassed up to take off. It looks like the police are coming, like to bust them for speeding. Uh, though they end, they ended up just giving them a police escort. Uh, perks of celebrity, I guess. Um, we got a whole squad together to uh, try and get the guy to the to the game. Uh, they make it to the airport. You know, we're kind of in that classic airport scramble movie now at this rate. Um, and I, I love. There's a great part in the bottom middle of page seven. It says, "No, no, 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 no! I'll never make the game now. The coach will kill me." 
And Darlene <laughs> says, will you just calm down, Jack? There's another flight that gets us to D.C. by 1.30 that gives you a half hour to get to the stadium. Now go call Coach Kirby. I don't want to. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> it's good dialogue. Being a I think, uh, man, baby. yeah, see, this whole ep- issue, you'll see little um, clocks on the wall behind them, like ticking by the minutes. So we're, I don't know, I guess we just uh, missed 1230 here. Yeah, we're 1240 on his watch. And yeah. Later and later still. <laughs> All right, so so we cut back to Washington where the team's getting ready for the game. Um, we have another new football player. Not a new player, but new to us, I think. Timmy Bright. Um, as the quarterbacks are tossing uh, practice catches. So everybody's watching the new guy, uh, Bobby Bullet Baker, throw passes. Uh, Timmy Bright's apparently a little sketchy, though. Uh, so he gets he gets uh, Dasher to toss him the ball, and then he chucks it kind of unsuspectingly at Watkins. You know, I don't think you can really plan this, but he looks like he planned this. Uh, so he chucks it at him real fast when he's not at the backup quarterback real fast when he's not looking. He kind of grabs it and hurts his hand. Um, the coach kind of runs up, you know. Oh, looks like we're going to need to start Baker today. Get your playbook. And then we get a real like side eye out of Tim Bright, which makes me think him and the coach were in on it. Well, they were, um, there's a dialogue from maybe Dasher and, and suicide talking about how um, they just drafted or they just traded for these two guys, um, Baker and Watkins from Denver. So I sort of thought they were just, it was just, uh, what's the name? Bright trying to help uh, oh, Baker out. Okay. Yeah. So he's a new player. Yeah. I saw it because, like, you know, uh, Baker is a Heisman pick. You know, and they're like, well, why did we, we need a defensive help? You know, but why did they, why did they trade Monahan and a draft choice for those two? Okay. Yeah. That wasn't clear. Yeah. But I guess they're I, kind I, of buddies. I mean, they, they, they bowled Monahan, who's a guy we never heard of before, and we'll never, I'm sure, hear it again. It's like, I don't remember if I mean, there was a couple very of naturalistic things. dialogue. It doesn't tell you anything you need to know. So <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, there's a side eye from Bright there that's uh, very suggestive that he's not unhappy with that outcome. Gotcha. Even, they were also like throwing in the all at like Rick Wall's head in the locker room in the previous scene. So I don't know if it's like just a thing they do at each other. Heads up. Ow. <laughs> I'm always trying to injure my, my star players. <laughs> like on the NFL, uh, like everybody is always mega careful about the quarterbacks. Like nowadays, like they wear a different color. Like you can't touch them. You know, like if, if somebody runs into them in practice, like your own team, like you know, that'll start a fight kind of stuff. They're very protective. Wow. Okay. Well, anyway, so uh, from practice, then we cut to uh, Jack and Darlene's plane ride. So they finally get on the plane, uh, flight 43 to Washington, D.C. All right. So it is D.C., not the state. Um, and we get a lot of little pictures of the 
crew, like the passengers and, uh, you know, flight attendants, pilots and such, you know, there's a group of nuns uh, there's a little kid that wants to see the pilot, uh, you know, two girls together, an older couple, um, and da -da -da -da, uh, Susie, the flight attendant who becomes a pretty important character here. Um, so we got Susie, dark haired flight attendant, and then Terry, a blonde flight attendant, two women. Uh, there's two pilots and a navigator as well. Uh, and then all these sort of passengers that we meet. So there's a girl who recognizes Mr. Magnificent and it's kind of all over him. He gives her a shirt and yeah, she's really excited and knows all these things about football. Um, and her mom's there as well. Yeah, what is she, 10 or 12? I forgot. Yeah, maybe like a 10-year-old 10, 10 would be my guess. I don't remember if they say it or not. Kind of a bratty kid stereotype there. She's constantly yeah. asking for stuff or wanting to do something, go somewhere. Always very demanding. <laughs> Complaining. Yeah, actually. That's... Yeah, yeah, so... Um, so we've got two girls that want to order drinks, right? And then we cut to the older couple. You know, they look like they're ready to take a nap. <laughs> um, so there's an interesting scene at the bottom of page 10 uh, where the little girl's mom walks off. And then we get five minutes later, somewhere on the half-filled 727. Ah, there it is. And someone's dumping out a purse, which has a gun in it, among other things. And it looks like the same purse that the mom had. So perhaps that's a fake out, right? Yeah, colored exact and shape is the same, right? Yeah, so it looks very the same. This is a bunch of makeup and just junk in there. But presumably, if she's dumping out the purse and there's a gun there, that's the thing we're supposed to be paying attention to, not the, you know, the, the makeup mirror or something. <laughs> anyway. Uh... So, uh, so Jack figures uh, he he wants to go see the pilot too. So, <laughs> so uh, he presses the button to call the stewardess over to take him and the little kid up to, to see the cockpit, a thing you could do before 2011. Uh, and they'd give you those little flight wings and stuff. Or 2001, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The the when they talk about flight wings. I I remember that from from my youth too although it's usually a longer flight like you you would have time to to go up and um, look and and talk to them for a second um this is like a shuttle from new york to washington which is almost i don't know that's a pretty fast flight i'm guessing but yeah it's pretty quick up and down like maybe you're lucky if you get a pretzel or something exactly. yeah anyway so the uh, Terry, the blonde flight attendant, is excited uh, for Jack Magnaconti that I think she calls, she says, I'm a big fan of the Smackers. Like, so she doesn't even know the, the football team, which is funny. Um, also has like unusually roomy aisle in the airplane, which I imagine is just, just the drawing to make things re realistic. Uh, um, yeah, usually yeah. that cart, like if it's coming down the aisle on the airplane, like there's no getting past it, right? It's, it, it is the, ex the exact width of the aisle. Yeah, you never see it turned at an angle the way it is in this drawing because 
It's impossible to do. In this. It's impossible to do. If it's in, if it's between you and the bathroom, then too bad. <laughs> uh, so as as they're getting ready to go, uh, so uh, Susie, the brown-haired flight attendant, is pushing the cart. Uh, you know, she's I'm sorry, the coffee isn't ready. If you just give me a few minutes, uh, the kid whizzes by and like slams into her cart. Um, she gives her a nasty look. So bottom of eleven is, is a great stink eye from the flight attendant. <laughs> um, so as Jack and the girl go up to the cockpit, um, she's counting off the seats, I guess, that she needs to service. The coffee's boiling over. The two girls on the plane who have been drinking are also playing a boombox. Like flying must have been really different in 86. <laughs> I feel like that would have got shut down really fast. Yeah, I think I don't remember hearing that one when I was flying the. I don't know. Yeah, so you got um, the, the girls driving her crazy. The coffee's boiling over. There's some drunk ladies giving her trouble, and then <laughs> Mr. Mustachio. <laughs> hey, Swoozy, has about another scotch and soda, and slaps her on the butt. Classic. Those. That's like the guy, uh, uh, Lucy R- Ricardo's boss at the bank or something. I don't know. Mister <laughs> Drysdale. Um, yeah. The the it's a it's like a classic mental meltdown scene going on with all these. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like actually, the... just before that, I wanted to. Yeah. It was um, when when the other stewardess is showing them into the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little girl is going, "Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy!" And Jack is thinking to himself, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I'm, thanks for pointing that one out. <laughs> uh, I, I also think the, uh, the the guy coming from off panel to smack the stewardess on the butt is could be a, a meme of itself. Like It's just kind of like perfectly coming in out of the panel. <laughs> It's got a nice little smile. It's like, hey, hey, slap. <laughs> I don't even think we see this guy before or since. I mean, he <laughs> has like a panel. Oh, no, he's in the next page. But oh, okay, you're right. She's been drink, <laughs> drinking, drinking. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is pretty good so far. Um, the uh, yeah, so Jack's just as excited as the girl. Maybe even more excited. Um, than she is for seeing the cockpit and getting his wings. Um, but the cock, but the, the stewardess is done. Uh, Susie is, is, is having her meltdown now. Um, in a previous panel, like the other stewardess, uh, the flight attendant and the navigator kind of run into her and like, is something wrong? And they disappear for a little bit. Uh, she goes on the, this over speaker and says, attention please. This is Susie, your flight attendant. There's been a slight change in plans. Due to recent difficult conditions, I've been forced to revise our destination somewhat. Uh, so rant, rant, rant. Uh, we're going to Shangri-La. <laughs> and, and not from justice, Shangri-La, LA, but Shangri-La. So um, yeah, so she's got a gun now. She's got a control of the PA. Uh, no Ugh. sign of the navigator and the other flight attendant. Things are going downhill. Why is everyone so obsessed with Shangri-La in 
86. We will have to check the almanac. <laughs> but everybody kind of takes it, uh, like they're all kind of peeking through the aisles. She's been drinking or turn up the tunes. This chick's too radical. <laughs> um, yeah. that, I guess that's before she pulls out the gun. Uh, shoots the boombox and also blasts the hole in the window, thus depressurizing the airplane and causing it to careen. <laughs> Classic uh, depressurizing airplane. So um, as, as the plane starts to tip, then the other flight attendant and the navigator uh, like tip out of a closet or a bathroom, like they're gagged and tied up. So she... Uh, presumably had them at gunpoint um, and uh, Jack and the little girl are in the cockpit sort of riding out the problem so like, you know, we're going to get get down low uh, trying to repressurize you know go as slow as we can to get things back under control um, in the rest of the plane uh, Darlene is, is kind of squaring off against our rogue flight attendant a little bit uh, but before she gets shot Darlene dives out of the way with almost like a solid football dive, right? She's got moves. Um, as one of the pilots comes back, uh, he doesn't know what's going on. You know, Susie is his flight attendant. He's probably worked with a bunch. What's wrong? Why the gun? And she pegs him. So Susie's starting to rack up a, a kill count. Uh, so kills the pilot right in front of the girl. Yikes. Um, then kind of backs off and slams the cockpit door, you know, leaving everybody behind. Uh, and she's now in the cockpit with Jack, the little girl, and one surviving pilot. So lots of action. Yeah, it goes, goes pretty fast here. Yeah. Darlene's out with the nuns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> having a prayer, quick word of prayer there and at this point. <laughs> All right, so uh, back to the cockpit now. So basically, Susie's telling the pilot to fly to Shangri-La, uh, which, of course, you can't do. So how do you explain that to the crazy person, though? Uh, that's the problem our, our pilot is going to. Yeah. So uh, she, at this point, takes uh, the flight attendant, takes the little girl, uh, kind of holding her in that classic hostage pose with the gun, um, and then Jack is left wondering, well, what do I do? I've got super strength and speed and I'm invulnerable, but if I'm not fast enough, is she going to shoot the girl? Is it going to, is, is a bullet going to bounce off me? And then, you know, my secret's out, my football career is over. Yeah. Jack always thinks first, like, oh, wait a second. Can I do something here without risking them knowing I am the biggest cheater in pro football? <laughs> well, he, a, he, he dodged his physical apparently because I haven't heard anything about that. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, yeah, so she's holding the girl close and Jack's on the other side of the in this um depiction large room as a cockpit, which you know would take him a second to get across. So it's it's um you know, a question for him, like if he can jump across, and he's, he's, he doesn't know the answer. And here we go. Yeah. Right. So you know, everybody's kind of confused. You know, we cut back and uh, the elderly couple um, 
the woman from the back, an older woman is, uh, you know, complaining her chest hurts. Maybe she had a heart attack. Um, if the pressure goes out of the cabin, it's going to be kind of cold and hard to breathe anyway, right? There's no, uh, actually, I can see some oxygen masks kind of flapping in some of the panels, but it doesn't look like anyone put them on. So uh, maybe Susie skipped that part of the pre-flight warning. Um, but the, the little girl's mom pounded on the door who's yelling at her daughter to come out as if she has some control over the situation. Uh, annoys our flight attendant. And so she says, what, Sally? Time to take care of Sally. There's no room for children in Shangri-La. Mommy. <laughs> All right. So, so she puts the gun to the girl's head. Time to act, Jack. <laughs> so he basically just dives at her. Um, she gets a shot off. Bounces off him, hits her and then hits the flight attendant in the neck. Ack. I see it. It's beautiful. It's Shangri-La. Um, you know, we get perhaps our last look at a clock. It's two o'clock, right? Kickoff time. Uh, but the clock is broken and there's some blood from the flight attendant's neck on it. So, oh. Ooh. ouch. Yeah. So, I just, I mean, it's really difficult to have like a super powered guy versus a non super powered woman um, as like an exciting physical challenge. Um, like a few pages before where Darlene was kind of trying to do something and it was like Susie versus Darlene. It's like, that's a good one-on-one -on -one kind of a matchup. Um, but yeah, Jack, it's more like just the speed of trying to get in there before she hurts this uh, child, I guess. It's the real only real challenge for him. And then, yeah, Susie's gun or bullet bounces back. So she essentially kills herself. So you can't really and blame him. Yeah. To, to quote Sally, holy mackerel, Mr. Magnificent. That was really neat. I've never seen anybody that fast. And the bullet bounced right off you. Oops. <laughs> now my secret's blown and a woman is dead. Yeah, he's not too happy with that. In that order of importance. <laughs> okay, so our flight attendant is dead. The plane lands. Um, the girl starts yelling, Mr. Magnificent saved us all. He was a hero. Bullets bounced off his chest and everything. Quiet down, Sally. <laughs> Sally. I took out Susie. Don't make me have to come over there. Um, yeah, have, Su Susie is or Sally is a unreliable narrator, probably at a best of time. So um, yeah. nobody believes what kids have to say. Hopefully. The irony of it all, yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we get briefly introduced to a, a Peter Gray who wants to ask some questions and uh, Scott Templar, which makes me feel like they're investigating Dr. Strange or something, but. Uh, yeah, this is uh, my associate who's, you know, just cause he's named after this mystic order of knights who investigate uh, threats <laughs> to the Vatican has nothing to do with that. I'm sure. So anyway, 
don't mind the gray streak in his hair and the cigarette and the overcoat that complete the look. He's his own All right, name. Mr. Constantine. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Templar. <laughs> yes. So they ask him about the bullet bouncing thing, and, and Jack tries to basically tries to play it off as like it hit the bulkhead and bounced off. Well, not like they aren't going to be able to look at the bulkhead, so <laughs> might be in trouble later, Jack. <laughs> um. But he's getting ready to hustle out of there until a local cop stops him for questioning, uh, heavily implying that uh, he's got money. Well, he basically says he's got money down on Washington. So he's holding him up uh, so that he can't make it to the game and play. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, Is there at halftime, I guess? And so corrupt, man. Uh, Is there friends in blue? Yeah. Yeah, halftime. Washington Centurions lead the Smashers seven to nothing at halftime. So, our new quarterback, who had never played for his team, uh, is struggling, which is probably not a surprise <laughs> if you don't know the plays. <laughs> uh, so, so he finally makes it to the game, right? So he finally gets it there. Uh, you see him kind of rushing out of the tunnel. 8.25 left to play. So we're at the end of the fourth quarter. Centurions leading 20-16. to 16. Field goal is not going to do it. They need a touchdown. Um, I'm a little surprised that Coach Kirby puts Jack in. Um, I think, uh, I mean, he doesn't at first. He's like, sit down. He benches the, him when he like pops out onto the field. And let's make her Baker's do gonna, another yeah, play or so. two. Yeah, so complete pass and then a tackle for a loss. So, you know, the team can't get anything going. Uh, so then he's willing to throw up to put uh, Jack in for the next go round. Um, so, again, you know, we're up against the clock here. Um, Jack mentioned before that he was worried he wouldn't have time to kind of wear out his powers a little bit and sort of get rid of his edge. And I think we're seeing a little bit of now, like, like he hasn't played super powered in a long time. So yeah. you know, his first pass sails way over Dasher's head. That's no good. He tries to hand it off to Smythe um, and basically like clobbers him instead. <laughs> like, right. It's supposed to be sort of a delicate thing. Uh, so he's too strong for his own good here. Um, and then the next play, you know, is a, all right, yeah, so, so they have to punt there. Uh, four minutes and 20 seconds left. Um, the defense magically gets them the ball back. Uh, there's a fumble from Washington. Uh, the helmets look kind of wonderfully old-timey here. Like, they don't quite look right for football helmets of the era, which is interesting. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so... You know, they get the ball back, this time going a little more successfully. You know, Jack throws a pass and Suicide catches it, makes it run, and Brick Wall blocks for him. Then he has the last bomb in the air, and Dasher catches it, seemingly saving the day, but he falls like two yards short and time runs out. So, ooh. He had two shots at it. Uh, The New York Smashers lose. Almost pulled it out. But they came up short. Too bad, guys. Nice try. Well, he gave uh, it his best. 
I think they were undefeated still, like leading into this, which always made me surprised that Coach Kirby was so angry. But so one yeah. loss is no big deal. December is pretty late in the season. I don't know. Is that... mm. yeah. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. It should be, yeah, but it didn't. It wasn't a playoff game, so anyway. So um, then we cut to later that evening, and the uh, Peter Gray and Scott Templar are kind of running their own separate investigations. Gray is talking to the coach. Or no. Oh, no, he's talking to the pilot um, right. who didn't know what was going on. Right? He's like, all right, I was just trying to keep trying to land the plane. And he talks to the little girl uh, who's like, hey, the bullet bounced right off of him because he's the best. Yay. I love him. I like uh, that she does actually have a Smashers poster in her room. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, any celebrity would have. Like, and it looks like it's probably a poster of. Mr. Magnificent, too. It's hard to make out the yeah. number, but it could definitely be a 12. Sure. Um, and then, so, you know, get to the Smashers. Uh, uh, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. You know, he, Jack feels like he let the team down, right? Uh, you do need some cheering up. You do need some cheering up, handsome, Darlene says. Darlene, that girl. She died from a bullet. She she fired Jack, and you saved an entire plane load of people. You earned your wings today. He was real excited to get those wings. So <laughs> she was smart to play that up. Oh, I thought she was just being like metaphorical. It like, you know, uh, he was uh, in for some uh, snuggling. But yeah, you're right. She's just pointing at his little wings there. <laughs> I think it might be both. <laughs> This is not, uh, however, an issue of Starbrand. <laughs> it is not. Um, so we'll deal with the consequences tomorrow is the last line from Darlene. Uh, and then the last panel is um, Templar <laughs> uh, searching the plane cockpit. And he finds a little scrap of presumably Jack's shirt. and says, blood? Hmm. Lights up a cigarette. And that's the end of this comic. <laughs> Yeah, that's like there's no next or that the end or anything. It's just hmm. Mm. I like that as an ending though. It's okay, but I mean you turn sort of turn the page like huh? okay. Turn the page and you can learn how to subscribe to the new universe and uh the ad we talked about before about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, actually, um we can take a quick glance at the ads in this issue. Right across, we have a Strange Tales, which was kind of a reboot for um, like a double, um, a series of double issues, I guess, like Doctor Strange and Cloak and Dagger paired up in one book. Um, they're getting like 10 pages each a month or something. Yeah, I had those for a while. I think I, I ended up selling them. They're, it's, it's frustratingly short. Like it's just not long enough. Yeah, I can. I, I kind of remember that. Um, I think Cloak and Dagger had had a, their own series pretty recently from that because that's where like there's an Art Adams issue and a Magnolia issue that like, and then suddenly they're rebooted with this. So. When people say the new universe didn't get much of a run, it's like, well, Cloak and Dagger just got like eight issues. I mean, what do you want? 
Doctor Strange was having trouble keeping his own series at that time too. So yeah, so he's, the, he's in his second movie as of this recording. Yeah, the impression I got too is like the sales for the books that get cut in this era were like would be great sales for a book now, right? So like, yeah, well into six figures. Yeah, I don't yeah. know uh, the exact number, but two or three times what we consider a success would be considered marginal so yeah yeah but i think we're kind of at the tail end of comics being you know popular with everyone right and kind of heading towards popular with comic book readers you know before the big yeah you're, you're sort of transitioning because yeah you can still get these on the newsstands so yeah you would have um, wider distribution more normal normy friendly content all of that um, yeah my issue of merc is a newsstand copy there's also a, an issue uh, uh, an ad for um like model cars like building little plastic model kits uh, is that in the middle of the issue opposite page five oh, okay i've just breezed past that it's a uh, i don't remember that company but i do remember like a model building being a more popular hobby at the time than it, I can tell now. So, Yeah, I don't think I... I mean, model building is popular now, like like Gundam models and stuff. That's pretty popular. Less yeah. so cars. Yeah. Interesting. Just a window into the past there for us. Yeah. No, no uh, letters no page again. Mm. We've never got a kicker's letter page. It'd be great to have like the phony. I love these guys, like especially uh, Dasher and Suicide. They're so I don't know who I like more. It's... <laughs> yeah, okay, man. Listeners, you can write to us about this issue. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us who your favorite kicker is. We care more than you know, who added this one. Michael Higgins and Carl Potts. Yeah, they, they, they didn't want to hear from you. Or maybe they did. They just didn't have time to do a letters page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, let's see. Overall, this is a pretty full issue. Um, yes. <laughs> Coming from someone who tried to go over it relatively quickly is a very full issue. Like, so that, but that's great. You know, got lots of, lots of bits of story there. Yeah, I mean, if you told me there was another, like, you know, football-centric issue or, or something, it would be like, mm. but they play off, like, both ends of this pretty well, flipping back and forth from the team getting ready for the day's game and then starting the day's game and this constant countdown. It felt like an issue, like an episode of 24 at times where you're constantly looking at the clock and you know, tick, tick. <laughs> Tick, tick. Boop. <laughs> um, yeah, if you had a whole issue of like a football game, you know, that would be, that would not be terribly interesting, right? I mean, maybe the closest we got was like the goon team that intentionally paralyzed the poor kid. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's, uh, um, I don't know. There's a couple of movies like Black Sunday, like a terrorist attack at a, at a football game, maybe the Super Bowl, mm. but I haven't 
haven't watched it, so I can't. But so yeah, just sitting all day at the game wouldn't really do much for us, I think, as as readers. But um, yeah, and I'm certainly glad it's not about like a scrappy uh, kid or guy who you know really wants it really bad and trying to make the team kind of thing. It's like that, that's yeah. that was played out already in '86, I think. Yeah, the scrappy kid is uh, seems like a weasel in this uh, this issue. Although we didn't really get to see much interaction with him, his friend was kind of uh, yeah. We got a, we got a new we've we got the owner of the team. We've got like the coach is trying to get rid of Magna Conti, right? Maybe he can't because he's too good, uh, but he's trying to get trying to get rid of him or have an out. Uh, we got a whole plane situation. <laughs> Uh, we had road tripping, arguing, right? New new football characters. There's a whole lot going on, and and uh, his secret is uh, almost busted, right? I mean, pretty much those two mystical uh, investigators are uh, are right on his trail. So, I have a strong suspicion that's going somewhere. Um, yeah, I would hope uh, so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, like you say, that's all sort of um, seems like a good, um, I don't know, editorial or or the author um, mandate of you know let's keep at least some of the the football in there interesting. So if it's going to have this angle, at least let's throw in some obstacles on that side of it, like. Spider-Man works at the Daily Bugle. He should also be getting yelled at by his boss and in co- competition with the other guys there and all the that. Otherwise, what's the point of that that sideline? So yeah, yeah. So if you if it goes to the point where um, like he's his secret is out, right, and he can't play football anymore, and he's not like a football player, and there's, is there's and there's still just Kickers Inc right then you know that's going to change the book quite a bit as well so that would be a big decision if you're gonna you know the police investigators bust him and go public and obviously the league and the coach you know he's cheating uh, so that would be sort of disgraceful as well and so that that could be a huge direction change if that happens if they don't you know somehow whisk it under the rug or uh Hey, well, you actually saved a bunch of people's lives, so we're not going to out you. But yeah, I sketchy. Think, yeah, I mean, it's the whole powers aren't recognized in the new universe, so people aren't necessarily looking for them. So, but maybe it's been a few months, and yeah, we're at a point where there are investigations sort of going around, and people are sort of realizing there's something more going on than meets the eye so um maybe maybe now he's gonna have to take his physical right because it's like hey well these guys think you're invulnerable (laughs) um why don't you prove that you're not (laughs) what does that prove i i I can play football and be invulnerable why (laughs) why do you put it like i can't um yeah yeah so um, an interesting sort of transitional issue, I feel like. Um, I don't know if these guys are going to be on for a while because I know they jump around a lot, but maybe an editorial is, you know, direction will keep it on track with something, some, some of these elements. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I have not peeked ahead to see who's written seven. As I said, I remember one thing about the later Kickers Inc. and um, um, it's something to do with this this owner, this new owner. So I think she'll be back. Okay, cool. But, um, letter grid time. Sure. Um. Overall, I will give it. Uh, I'd say a B minus. Mm, okay. I was pretty happy with the um, writing and art. Um, Darlene was present, but then the rest of the kickers weren't. Um, and I don't know. There was there. Was, it's not bad. Um, I, I don't know what to call it. Tension. Because it's not like action, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, overall, generally happy with it, but not like. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little hard. I think you are. I'm. I'm going A minus. I think this. Wow. I think this is a fun issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, I, I think with a lot of these things, it's kind of what you make of it. Like, if you go into it thinking like kickers inc this is stupid entertain me like it's probably <laughs> gonna be a bad comic for you right but after reading it a couple of times like this is like the fourth time looking through it and like you know just all the little bits the oh boy oh boy oh boy the cockpit and uh yes yeah, we get a plane hijacking a, a flight attendant murdering people uh, a replacement qb lots of fun stuff so yeah i like this one and a cool know. new logo that's a little more actiony. That'll drive sales uh, right up through the roof, right? The new logo. You know the um, the cover has the new logo is in yellow, and then the little like picture at the top left uh, is like also a strong yellow background, and then the the word hijack in the bottom also strong yellow, but then they don't use the yellow in the Low, the trade dress I, it would have been too much yellow don't you think you know this this page like reminds me of um, the first issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths which was printed by a new um, printing process where they overdid the yellow so much um, you, I still remember how saturated that, that first issue was um, I'm going to have to go back and look at that now yeah, they'll they'll have corrected it in any reprints, but um, yeah, because I've got the yikes. original issues, I think. So anyway, um, I guess we can take a break and come back with Mark Hazard Merck. All right. Welcome back. Uh, it's time for Mark Hazard Merck, number six. Uh, on the stand also, apparently, December 30th, 1986. Um, although it doesn't um, have a date in the story. 
So this issue's cover has a very nice, uh, actually shot, um, sort of a sideways um, profile of Mark with a cigarette in his mouth. It's providing the only lighting. And uh, oh, what do you call that? Like a shell casing from uh, his uh, automatic uh, gun popping out there. Um, my gun vocab is weak. Yeah, that's you will all notice if uh, Andy covers the um, Kickers Inc. issues where they do a lot of football, that you'll actually get more uh, insight into that. Yeah, I don't um, know why they didn't have their tight end run a curl route on that last play. Because I mean, yeah, man, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's what time. I was wondering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But um, yeah, I don't think either of us is great with gun gun foo. So sorry, guys. No, um, my my war knowledge begins and ends with GI Joe and Mark Hazard. Mark. Yeah, we've learned a lot from you, Mark. Um, it's no credit, but uh, strong piece. So inside, we have a splash page, and the title of the story: Clients, and it is a. Uh, Scene from, uh, I guess, 1933 Nuremberg. Um, <laughs> it just says Middle Europe. And we've got several people up on stage. You can see Mal behind Mark. Um, and it's a European-style buildings around them. There seems to be flames and people in the audience holding up signs. Kurtz for president. Kurtz uber alles. And Mark has uh, got a trench coat on and he's pulling a gun out of his uh, coat. Not ominous at all. <laughs> you know, just the typical Tuesday evening at Mark's uh, lifestyle. Um, credits are Mar Mar Doug Murray again on story. Vince Gir Girano on pencils. Manny Hands on inks. Now, who did we? It was Diverse Hands on Letters. In that kicker's issue, and yeah. uh, must be his man, brother. Yeah, the the hands brothers are back at it. Um, and we got Jack Morelli and Andy Kubert on letters, which is um, at least a uh, at least people owned up to it. Um, Half of a famous last name in lettering. Yeah, Kubert. I mean, obviously, is is a pro. Um, Son of a pro. Jack Morelli was, I think, one of the guys who uh, was like a real um, standard letterer there and did some of the other um, technical issues of who, uh, official handbook uh, in the Marvel Universe and maybe co-created Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, at least its original incarnation. Hmm. Anyway, um, and the editor now is Larry Hama. I should, uh, it's gone from, um, okay, I forget what his name was, the first uh, five issues, and then the last issue was Blaustein. Uh, I think it was Owsley was the first few. Anyway, um, Larry Hama has now taken over, and we all know Larry from his great work on G.I. Joe. <sighs> Back to the story. Um <laughs> back and to back the to, Nazis. Back to the Nazis. Literally, there's someone ripping a, a sign out of someone's hand that says Nazi. 
Um, and someone else has a sign, don't elect a Nazi. I will admit I was confused at first thinking that the blonde girl with the Nazi sign was the Nazi and then the guy was ripping it up. Yeah, it's... But no. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, you can tell they're brown shirts because they literally wear brown shirts. Um, I guess when they call them that later, they're just being literal. Um, so uh, Mark is thinking to himself with his hand still inside his... Um, coat kind of Napoleon like protesters better keep an eye on them okay um, you can see his, his other crew members Mal and Treetop standing around this um, guy who's at the podium who is saying take care of them what are you doing I told you to just take care of them take them out to lunch you know get to know them a little better right always it's always, always criticizing me. Anyway, the uh, um, the guy who had torn the sign out of the blonde woman's hand is now slapping her, saying, "Get away! We don't want your kind here." And <laughs> the Nazis don't want their kind. Mm, this blonde woman, this attractive blonde woman. I don't know where you're coming from, there, Fritz. But uh, maybe the brown shirts is a dudes only club. Mm, it's from all appearances we get, yes. Yeah. So uh, I then we have a panel of someone, and I think it's Mark, saying to himself, come on, Hazard, don't blow it. Yeah. Um, so I, do you concur? Because that's one of my most questionable assignments, I think. I think that's it, yeah. Because I was, it's confusing at first, too. But nobody else would be saying that to him. Um if it edged over the art a little bit more, we'd see his trademark eye scar and then there would be no doubt. But, and it's also, I think he's the only one smoking. So mm. if, if you don't have the gun or a scar in image, then the smoking is at least some giveaway that it's Mark Hazard. So, so yeah, I think he's talking to himself. It's like, let's not Good. blow this assignment already. Yeah. Come yet, on, man. Brown shirt goon number one doesn't make it easy for him. Yeah, he was about to st- head stomp a curb stomp, a, the attractive blonde woman, and he's like, that tears it as he jumps off the platform. Grabs the guy from behind and punches him to the ground. Next time, pick on someone your own size. And the woman flees into the crowd, and the speaker, I guess, says, Fritz, I want that man hazard. And the rally is maybe over. That at a nearby guest house, or however you pronounce that. Ghost house? Yeah. That sounds more um, human. Yeah. Without an umlaut, it sounds good. What did you have in mind? Our job is to guard Kurtz, not beat guards. <laughs> What's wrong <laughs> with you? Uh, Mark is arguing with Treetop, who is not only the helicopter pilot, but like the guy who fixes up these jobs and sort of keeps them all uh, on track, pays the money out. And as a couple of issues would go, we learned um, maybe is uh, also hires the lawyers who keep Mark out of prison. Right. Basically part of his crew of friends and they sometimes don't get along, but generally run their missions together. Yeah. 
So Mal and Treetop are like, come on, man, money, you got a contract. And Mark's kind of, mm, money isn't everything. There's some people we shouldn't work for, no matter how much money they offer. Get out of my face, Treetop. Yeah, yeah Mark, like most military guys, hates right-wing politicians. Nothing more he hates than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the... Uh, so Mark grabs his Uzi and he's like, I think I'll take a little walk, maybe cool off. He goes downstairs and heads out into the street where he is followed by someone who looks like the guy he'd gotten in a fight with earlier. Brown shirt goon number one. He uh, tears up a poster of Kurt's friend of the people. Huh. <laughs> and the uh, goon is pulling a knife on him. Mark, uh, Eh, I don't know how he, he's doing it. Like, gets his uh, arm and... Um, it kind of looks like the goon's trying to stab him from behind, but Mark's got the drop on him, so he kind of lets it go past him, but then grabs his hand and disarms him. Yeah, I thought he was also elbowing him, though. But, but yeah, he could just be doing it with his... his grabs the guy's arm and hand and just sort of... Yeah. And then he him. like picks him up over his head like a WWE wrestler. But... <laughs> Kane, perhaps, perhaps the big show. I don't know. Um, <laughs> throws him on the ground where he lands head first. Uh, he's, he's like, oh, the damsel in distress is back. This blonde, attractive woman he, um, puts his Uzi away and chats her up. What brings you out tonight? <laughs> Fritz is on the ground. By the way, I would guess dead. I'm calling that death number one. Yeah, okay. We'll call it death number one. I mean, it looked pretty bad, like to drop someone on their head with their whole weight and his face at the end. Yeah, having your eyes open and sort of staring off into space is kind of indicative of. Yeah. Anyway, at the home of the Frau, Fraulein Frida, or Frida? I thought this was, they're switching their EI there, but anyway. Um, her father, Rolf, screens an old film. I guess it's Schindler's List. Um, <laughs> Wait, that didn't come out yet. It hasn't even been made yet. But no, we see some like a, a tank and like some bombed out buildings and some women getting shot, um, maybe from behind by the soldiers in the tank. Yeah, it kind of looks like they're just lined up against the wall getting shot. And uh, Rolf is narrating it. Here is the 22nd Panzer crippling the resistance. Stop it here. There he is. Continue, he points out, like one of the figures in the tank is, I guess, Kurtz? I mean, why else? Yeah, I mean, it, does, it doesn't really look like anybody, but. Okay. And then they turn around and it's the, the other guys in helmets. Um, yeah, machine gunning someone up against a wall. You see, you see what he did. Looks like he said hi to a couple of people who then shot some other people. I don't know. He, he's got a uh, strange taste in home movies here. I, you get all that on film there? Okay, good. Thanks. That was my proudest moment. Okay, thank you. I yeah, I guess he's kind of waving to the camera. I guess, yeah. The Nazi then slash running for some sort of political office political. that they're kind of vague about. Yeah. So the, the 
Rolf continues, my students and I have tried to stop him to let the people know, but they don't seem to want to. And his brown shirts are everywhere. They beat Rolf bodily, crippled him. That's from his daughter, Freda. But about the police, the police work for him or those like him. We need the help of men like you to expose him, to stop him. And uh, you don't understand, in my own way, I am a professional. I have a contract. You have a conscience, too. Mm. Ouch. So uh, he's talking to Freda. He's like, there's nothing I can do. He's, uh, you never, I never did thank you for saving me the other night. It's like this night, but anyway. She starts un- unbuttoning her shirt, and he says, this won't change my mind. I know. Uh, next day. Um, so the three count one, lady count one. <laughs> Someone was talking like the editors of Justice and Star Brand were talking up their characters. And someone was like, wait a second. How come Mark Hazard isn't getting any action? Right. You got to get, change this up. Um. He is talking to Treetop and Mal again, saying they were telling the truth. And Treetops, it doesn't matter, Mark. We have a contract. Contract. So I'm not quite sure what there's another rally. And Mal is saying, I don't like the look of this. Kurtz is giving Mark the bloody start. Something's wrong right enough. I assume that's supposed to be bloody stare. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't, I'm like, is that some sort of New Zealand uh, slang? I, but he kind of lost his accent, so. Oh, Dinkum, fair Dinkum, mate, has uh, given me the ruddy Waltz and Matilda over there, and I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I quite... was talking like last issue, so. Yeah, I'm not too far off, uh, listeners. Um, yeah, so anyway, he, he the, the rally starts and uh, Kurtz is talking, fellow believers in the fatherland. Then we have a small group of protesters with Freda in them and about five guards surrounding them, start surrounding them. And one of them is stabbing Freda with a knife right in the chest. We'll this call is... that brown shirt goon number two. Number two. And he is uh, in the background. Mark is pulling out his Uze Ozi and yelling, No. He's uh, down on the ground and yelling, You bloody and shooting brown shoot goon number two and possibly number three because there's two panels of him shooting. Okay. I feel like he's just laying more bullets into the brown shirt goon number two. Well, we've got, like I say, five people, five guards, goons, and then he shoots one, and then a page later, there's three three coming at him. Yeah, I'll add that to the kill list. There we go. So Mark has uh, shot a couple of people, perhaps, and uh, is uh, now holding Freda's body. Dead, too many dead, he says. Her placard had said, don't elect a killer. Um, and so... Well, I guess she was right. Because yeah. <laughs> he killed her. He killed or her. had his goons do it. Um, let's see. And Kurtz sees Mark 
uh, reaching for its Uzi, and so Kurtz flees, as the narration box has it, um, to their waiting limo or something. It's kind of a Mark. weird juvenile, out of nowhere narration box. Yeah, and I mean, even the lettering is weird. Like the size of the letters is significantly different. I don't know, man. I mean, it's least... pretty obvious that he was fleeing. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't know. It reminds me of like an old EC horror comic kind of a thing where they're like talking and the narration is just repeating what you're seeing, looking at. And but I don't know. Mark Hazard glares at Kurtz. Kurtz is surprised as Mark <laughs> Hazard reaches for the Uzi. Kurtz, please. Yeah, yeah. Go get uh, flea medication. Huh? Oh my gosh. So Mark's uh, confronting Mal and Treetop. Where are they? Where are the bloody butchers? Come on, Mark. Cool down. Take this over. The con. Don't ever talk to me about contracts again. Max Treetop. Then there's at least three goons still standing. A couple of them have guns. They're pulling out. Mark lets loose with the Uzi. And there's three goons on the ground. Won't let him get away this time. Mark at this suddenly notices there's a crowd of people here this whole time who are all shocked. Actually, I think that's the crazy. three remaining protesters. <laughs> right, those five guards, four protesters. Perhaps Absolutely. that was the entire rally. Okay. Is Mark looks back? Look what your leader has done. Wait, the leader is done. Like you just shot all these people, Mark. <laughs> right. He tried. He killed her to stop her from telling you his past. But you don't. You don't know his. You don't have to know his past now. He was a killer, and he is a killer. And you call him leader. Won't you ever learn? <laughs> uh, kind of projecting your own issues onto others. Kill count six, Mark Hazard. Uh, Mark pauses to salute the body of Frida. Sorry, Freda. I did what I could. And then as he's looking, I think, at the car that Kurtz is fleeing in, Treetop comes up behind him with a gun. Stop now has, we have a contract. I'm not going to let you kill our client. Out of my way, Treetop, now. I said now. Shoots Treetop through the leg a couple of times with the Zuzi. Oof. Treetop's on the ground, not too happy. By the way, I quit. Um, Mal is uh, on treetop side here. I never thought he'd do it. Never thought he'd do it. Sure hope there's a doctor in the house. And Mal is looking to have to carry treetop out of there on his back. While Mark takes the only car available. Whoops. All of a sudden, we're kind of in the field in the middle of nowhere, too. Like the last, The previous one was in a town. This is they're just kind of like in the middle of a field next to some mountains. Yeah. So he's like, it's no sign of the car. I have to try the house. They'll be waiting for me. Lights up another cigarette. He's got time. At the Kurtz headquarters. Looks like he's here. Her uh, careens into the gate, probably. Um, yeah. A couple of bullets go through the windshield. And he uh, rolls out of the car and shoots 
start shooting people. That's one in the guard tower. That's two through the window. Goes inside. Three on the stairs, and and four uh, at the top of the stairs. Just him now. Uh, Kurtz is on the phone. Yeah, he is a madman. You must come quickly, quickly. Schnell. <laughs> then he pauses to light a cigarette, but he's uh, interrupted by Mark crashing through the door. Well, leader, what are you going to do now? Please, please stop. Uh, he pulls a gun. It's a classic Luger out. No, no, no. Mark, of course, is half the guy's age and, you know, super fit. Just grabs his wrist and breaks his arm, I guess. No. Uh, oh, please. Oh, please don't. And suddenly there's a couple of cops and some photographers behind Mark. Make sure you get some good pictures. No, please, no. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, everybody's on Mark's side. <laughs> they didn't stop the question that he like, killed 10 people. <laughs> some hours and a great deal of consternation later. There's an airplane with Mark inside of it. Sorry, Fred. I should have understood sooner. And then he's looking out the window and envisioning Mal and Treetop and the clouds. <laughs> Them like yelling at him. You guys should have understood too. Some things are more important than money. That would have been Cloud Top. <laughs> so good dad joke. Oh my gosh. Back in the States, he's landing, he's at the uh, airport, taking a taxi, Gramercy Park. He gets there, but he's like, last, it's not really mine, it's treetops, I can't stay there. So he starts walking off, and uh, a mugger comes up, give me your wallet, man. It's like aching to round off Mark's kill count for the uh, month, but um, Mark just like... uh, Disarms him quickly and sort of laughs at him. Get out of my face now. Ha 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 ha. Mark makes it down to the Lower East Side where we have our friend Priestess back. Hi, Priestess. Would you mind some company? I really need a place to crash. Come in, Mark. For as long as you need. For as long as you want. Next issue, incentives. Mm. Lady count two. Environment incentives. We've got a whole new uh, employment program for you here, Mark. Uh, we've got a lot of benefits you can re- find in this line of work. Last employer didn't give you, you know, paid time off, did he? No. Oh, so much better. <laughs> so I don't know where we're going from here, but anyway, um, <laughs> maybe uh, health insurance. <laughs> What to say about Mark Hazard, Mark number six? Well, I, w- I would say in the positive direction, uh, the kill count is back. That is good. Yeah. I went, I went through our old numbers, and uh, and I, I've got notes, but they're scattered. Um, I had him with six kills of his own, overthrowing the government in issue six. Uh, two kills at the baseball game, uh, three kills protecting the 
Israeli politician. Uh, one kill in issue four, that was the fallout from the politician. Uh, but he gets a plus one there for imagining that he's killing his ex-wife's new husband. <laughs> uh, zero kills in issue five. This, that was the biker is dating my male's sister misunderstanding. Uh, and then boom, 10. I had nine, but you corrected me at 10 this issue. So there's a lot more killing. That's good stuff. I'm, uh... <laughs> yeah, because there's the guys in the house, the five guards at the second uh, speech, and then the one guy he dropped on his head. You're right. Okay. I must have stopped after the uh, guards and didn't finish up with the house. Yeah, so there's another four in the house. Yeah, he helpfully counts those out. This is true. I honestly would have thought this would be like the second highest kill count, like the number one issue. Way more people died in the first issue, but when I looked back, I looked back and tried to not count the ones that Mal exploded. Right, right. A lot of Mal explosions. Mal didn't do anything this issue. I why would you even want Mal along on a bodyguard mission? I mean, right. <laughs> Mark, okay. Treetop. No, Mal, no. I mean, yeah, I they're know. just there to have a falling out. Yeah. Uh, did, did, I mean, did it feel like it was written by a sixteen-year-old? <laughs> written and illustrated. That's the. <laughs> and then he killed this guy, and this guy looked at him wrong, so he killed this guy. <laughs> I mean, the the. Okay, I mean, we've been easygoing with like the gnome's castle in night mask as like a modern research facility that is somehow also a medieval castle that maybe frankenstein is <laughs> created in um but i mean this is um you know middle europe as he calls it obviously everyone's speaking german so that narrows it down considerably um Despite the the fun it is to like have these sort of comic book version of these countries, I mean to to mark Germany and Austria would be like NATO or like you know somewhere he was stationed for a while or something. You know, it'd be like he's well aware they're like modern countries with laws and you know, yeah, you can't just shoot ten people and like I got a plane to catch. I'm sorry. Look, I showed you uh, old movies from 1939, uh, so what do you want from me? Yeah, and, and we've handled that, too, in the book earlier, too, is, you know, you can't just go out of state, and even if you're working for, like, the government, you know, if you're in the in the city shooting people, like, you're going to have hell to pay and some questions to answer. And yeah. Like, the... Oh, no, well, he said they're bad, so. I mean, yeah, this is can get away with some of this mercenary can get you know stuff in third world countries and various corners of the world maybe not in i don't know right outside vienna come on man it's it's strains strains credulity or whatever yeah well if we call it back to last issue too like mark hazard didn't kill anyone but maul killed a bunch of these biker guys which were presumably like his sister's friends yeah he's just blowing them up because he doesn't like the guy it's like and then they kind of make up in the end they're like oh well 
we have our differences, but we're still buddies. So, I mean, like I, I pointed out, that the editor is now Larry Hama. And the writer is, for the second issue is uh, Doug Murray, who has just taken over, or started Zanam. Yeah, it started. It's a great acclaim. And I don't know, I looked at the first issue sort of briefly, and, you know, it's fine. It's a lot of, I think, you know, maybe more out of his experience there. And, you know, just because, you know, you, there were things you could get away with in Vietnam doesn't mean you could get away with them in the U.S. or Europe at this we'll just, point. We'll just call it Austria. Yeah. Um, so a little ridiculous and, you know, a guy who's perhaps considered, you know, strong with military stuff. I don't know. It's not really coming together too fast here. I do like that he brought back Priestess. Um, sometimes these pet characters are a little annoying, but she hasn't been here in the book long enough to really, you know, be, uh, great or, or terrible just sort of a new face and it's like i would have been happy to have priestess and the crew mal and treetop right um as a direction i don't know about this you know like you yeah. say wrestler uh kayfabe uh, now between mark and his old friends i don't know yeah this is almost like a character assassination of treetop here like like he maybe gave mark some crap about like in the first issue, you know, he was supposed to overthrow and kill one dictator, but then the the rebel leader was bad too. So he kind of like they shot up the rebels too. Um, but this one is like, you know, he all he does is jump in and say, We have a contract. And like as a smart black man who runs the Merc business, flies a helicopter, and he's gonna be relentlessly siding with the obvious Nazis, even after he you know, Mark says, hey, we've got proof and we've got these videos and stuff. Like, contract. Like, that's not treetop, right? Yeah. We don't that well, but it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. Mark and shooting Mark his friends and leaving them, like, and taking the car is all, like, not very flattering for him either. Yeah. Um, him shooting treetop is it's crazy, I think. That that doesn't make any sense. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, this is... So, yeah. So, the writing is juvenile. And the um, art feels like someone's... Uh, like a student... Like a Qbert school um, portfolio. More than like a polished work. I don't know. It has a uh, here's my first published look to it. You know. Yeah, um, Mark Hazard, Kurtz, and the goons all pretty much look the same oftentimes from panel to panel. So that's also uh, but I mean in some ways for me the story kind of drags because this is so it's kind of unfortunate that it's so trite now that like you you 1986, you didn't have everyone screaming Nazi at each other all the time here, or hmm. constantly putting Nazis into books. Um, 
I don't know. It's it's uh, tired, and uh, so so part of that is is probably my my Nazi fatigue. Is that like an all time high? Well, I mean, you could be more subtle about it too. Like I mean, we got no background on like there's no development of the bad guy, right? right? He it's, hardly it, said a word. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a lot of like. I mean, it's, it's all dialogue from Mark Hazard. Usually we get more thoughtfulness from him too. Like he's usually in his head, you know, thinking about what he's going to do next or how he's going to handle this kind of thing. You know, here, not really. He's just yelling at everybody. Yeah, it's uh, it's really like, um, I don't know why he took this assignment kind of the time you finish up, you're kind of... Uh, um. Yeah, it's it's even the lettering changes. Like I said, it you know it actually reminded me a bit of Charlton comics. If you ever saw some of the late Charlton issues, they would also have this kind of uh, weak consistency in terms of art and writing and lettering and inking. Um, sometimes it feels like here. I don't know. Uh, Mark's whole life has been like fighting the Cold War, and yet he's here. He's like, I hate right-wing populist figures more than anything. So, overall, with the as I said, my my, I'm trying to grade as um, with B, sort of in the middle, and then see if there's serious deficiencies. So, grading this one. Uh, I mean, I'm tempted to go all the way into a D. It's uh, serious deficiencies in both art and writing and maybe unhappiness with the direction this is taking, like overall, um, certainly. Oh, well, what was your official then? You kind of waffled between a C and a D. Yeah, I'll give it a D. I, I, I am too unhappy with, with anything to pull out the... Um, a couple of good points <laughs> as, as a uh, teacher the worst thing i ever graded uh was i gave an assignment where someone was supposed to talk about popular culture in the atomic age which is pretty wide open um and but the worst thing i ever got was from this student who submitted a paper about the invention of the telephone at a which was a uh, response to that <laughs> atomic age prompt so like yeah and it was so poorly written it was you know my kids in middle school could do could do a better job like that was always the most baffling thing i ever got to grade uh seeing that being said this was not that bad okay (laughs) you know something like that i don't know whether i would put it on the internet like there's a search engine to see if people are plagiarizing things or whether that was something he'd tried submitting in high school or something (laughs) It's anyone's guess. I think I ended up talking to the student afterwards about it, but didn't have any clue what was going on. But um, so that this was this comic was not that bad, but it was also pretty weak. Yeah, D. It's it's readable. There's a guy with a gun shooting things that somewhat resembles Mark Hazard, and uh, (laughs) you know, I I feel like my fan fiction Mark Hazard uh, pages would hold up pretty well in comparison. Yeah, but uh. You know, maybe it'll improve 
Um, character assassination of Treetop, I do not like. So, yeah, don't like. I hate the the like um, writer thing of like. Well, I've got some new characters to bring in, so I'm going to totally malign all the old characters that you know were in this book and like uh, man can, you can just kind of move on without like killing half the character the cast and you know aligning the other half yeah not not cool i don't know is this our first bad issue of the new universe this is the first one i will officially call bad i think mm. uh i wasn't happy with the last one but we were at least like yeah, kind of fun post-apocalyptic-ish action. Um, if it were 1986, would you drop this book from your pull list? I would certainly be considering it at this point. I don't remember if I uh, um, stuck with uh, Merck through the full uh, run the first time. That's a good question. I was probably getting down on the title at this point. Hmm. Um, I was going to say that the um, part of the inspiration for that story I, uh, was a um, politician in Austria who was then running for president named Kurt Waldheim or Waldheim um, this was back to my theory that when people were um, looking for things to write about for the new universe a lot of stuff was like hot off the press you know current headlines um the guy was coming from literally the secretary general of the united nations right um, Big deal. so not exactly like hiding in a you know, uh, you know rat hole somewhere yeah right <laughs> i mean is it mexico or something yeah Senor Waldheimo, is that you? No, no, it's uh, the um, the guy was you know res a respected politician, but um, I don't know. Someone had some uh, questions about him, and some uh, investigation suggested um, he hadn't been a hundred percent forthcoming about his um, past in the. Third Reich um, when he was in like his mid-20s. Yeah, so he actually was elected president, right? So he was elected president from 1986 to 92. So he, he got like one election despite, so it's like it's for some reason until he runs for president, no one digs up anything about him but suddenly some guy does and is like, I don't know, it's not like very direct, certainly is. Um, it's more like you were aware that this, you know, something was going on around you. And Yeah, so yeah. like he went for sort of the plausible deniability angle, I think. Yeah, and so I think it, it sounded like, at least from a, a quick glance at the Wikipedia page and things like that. Like, you know, maybe he had a case that he's not there, you know, gassing people or like, you know, or in the front lines, you know, shooting, fleeing, um, 
rebels or you know townspeople like kurt was in our uh, comic here yeah i and, mean uh, obviously you'll blow things up to to make a better story but that's i, I guess the the i mean to throw out that that's probably the genesis of this idea um and yeah it's it's all very um you know who can say there's there's a, a whole generation of germans and austrians that went through this and um you know it's like at this point 40 years in the past and like i said members of nato actually i forget is austria a member Anyway, I assume so, but I don't know that for sure. You know, we've got this whole like new um, rebuilt society. And yet, you know, if you need a cheap comic book uh, story, you can just, mm, they're all just ready to go Nazi. You just don't, if you uh, don't keep an eye on them every second, it's, <laughs> it'll be uh, brown shirts and red flags everywhere. Oh, like I say, it's uh, a victim of timing, perhaps. But yeah, looks like Austria is not, in fact, in NATO. Okay, semi-neutral, perhaps. Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, being a little more Eastern, they're bordering more uh, Warsaw Pact states. So yeah, but again, that that comic story could have had a lot more like interesting subtlety if he wasn't like obvious nazi guy right like that would have lent a little bit more credence to like the argument between him and his friends you know and yeah yeah but it was like you know his, he the, told the cheapest to, to beat up the crowd version. and yeah, the, yeah and the goon like just was right ready to stab that one woman right for nothing right for holding a sign um and still you know like no, we have a contract, and can't you see he's a killer? As I kill ten people, wow, <laughs> crazy stuff. So I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe after he's done, after they're done burning down the uh, the previous work of Mark Hazard Merck, then we'll get to something new and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Ah. So anyway, we will look forward to next uh, Mark Hazard Merck just because of our love of the first few issues. This is, you know, we're, we're old-time comic readers who've hung on through runs we didn't enjoy too much. Um, it was easier to do back then when they were 75 cents each. So Yeah, really. I would really let things go a long time before I'd pull the plug on them. But... Yeah, I've read a lot of bad issues of Batman. <laughs> Um, so we'd said maybe we this being uh, like practically New Year's Eve in 1986 that this hits the stand, we'd take a quick look at uh, 1986 um, as a year, a year in comics. It's kind of um, certainly I've seen uh, uh, other people refer to it as a key or pivotal year. Um, I have a lot of nostalgia for it myself. Um, yeah, it's gotten a lot of press in 2022 when we're recording this. Of course, New Universe will be timeless, so y'all will be listening to this 10 years from now. But um, 10, 25. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the new, the 
Top Gun sequel was out in 2022 and uh, some Kate Bush song from 1986 is popular because of Stranger Things and right right so what is it kids yeah, be it was... wearing fanny packs again oh I saw two of them yesterday let's start with the fanny packs again so um, the funny thing is you will think um, of things that happened in 1986 or I will and be like, you know, why didn't they work this into the new universe or something? Um, we talked about Haley's Comet. So Haley's Comet, looking at the quick summary of the year, Haley's Comet reaches the top at, in February 9. Um, there's a lot of things that basically happened in the first half of the year, and they didn't start publishing until the second half. So um, things that they could have referred to were either sort of already past and didn't brought up again um so space shuttle like, challenger disaster that's a big one yeah but you wouldn't want to be like you know when justice was teleported to earth and that's when what caused the challenger disaster and like you know try and tie in <laughs> too much and that'd be really weird but that's right it's uh i don't know i i mean i keep thinking 1986 is a good year but you're you're like is starting it like in 85 would have allowed you to have more of these cool things going on um well, they, they wanted to start it right now though right like it was ready to be published and that's the day we're picking so yeah you would probably think like yeah that that 86 or 85 were just as cool if, if you know a couple of other things hadn't happened that year um I'm scamming through it now. I know. Um, what was it? The Chernobyl disaster was. Just oh right, yeah. uh, That's still topical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had heard that. Oh, here it that, is. April. Okay, yeah. April twenty-sixth. I'd heard that they have to build a dome, like a concrete dome, to put over that thing. So, like on the hot site where most of the radiation is and it lasts like 100 years before they have to build another dome but the radio they're going to need those domes for like 10,000 years like for all the half-life of all the waste to finally you know become more clear like like it's oof mm. can't understate that damage that it did to that local area yeah i don't know i i'm I mean, it's, it's totally not the Chernobyl of pop culture, right? In pop culture, it's creating all these weird mutants and everybody died of radiation. And, you know, it was way less I mean, people yeah. died of that than like the bombings and such. If you look at like the actual numbers of uh, uh, people killed and, you know, the, the health effects, then I've seen um, people make a case that coal is worse than the few nuclear disasters we've had um in some ways uh but yeah it was definitely a dramatic episode and if you had super powered beings in the world they would uh, sort of a good chance for them to pop up yeah. hands across america was pop was it a- i think it again it'd be a little too obvious of like chernobyl caused the white event or like caused these mutations and caused the powers like i don't think i would have liked that as much um but it would be like a nice explanation like for people in the new universe trying to figure out like why why do we have paranormals you know 
Actually, uh, yeah. Like the Russians like, DP7 was talking about it. It's like, well, that nuclear meltdown a few months ago, maybe that had something to do with it. Mm, yeah, actually, yeah, maybe. maybe Children the, of the atom, that's us. Yeah, okay. Maybe the Americans are experimenting with nuclear stuff and creating superhumans. And... Yeah, I, I still, I, I think I said before I would have been uh I would have liked if they'd linked it to Halley's Comet because then at least you could have like a historical thing where 1910 or whatever the previous visit was you you had a couple of possible that sounds like a secret history Stephen (laughs) shut it down sorry oh that's a cool idea sorry Mr. Shooter don't you ever come back in here with a secret history story (laughs) Um, let's see, and let's see various. We're we're reading uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the Olympics that year. Yeah, no, that was '84. I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, '84. Well, there every two. So if it was like '84 summer, '86 would be winter, or had they not started? I don't think they were doing that yet. I think they were like both in the same year up until some point in the 90s. Yeah. I ran Contraffair. That was, um, I'm surprised we don't see more of that. I think we heard it referred to when Spitfire went to the Congress. Um, you know, Ollie North and Iran Contra, all that stuff was sort of in the news. Yeah. So we, get, we definitely have gotten a bit of uh, like Afghanistan Russian conflict and. Uh, uh, unnamed uh, South Pacific Island conflict and terrorists yeah. from South America, those kind of things. Yeah. Terrorists are definitely on the mind in the 1980s. It's Russians and terrorists, and, and we get that a ton in the new universe, and that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Oh, here's a, I remember that. The, um, the Rutan Model 76 Voyager, the first aircraft to fly around the world without stopping or refueling, uh, went all the way around the world in nine days. Some mm. like super light thing. I know. Crazy. I think you see it in the uh, Air and Space Museum in D- DC. Okay. I may have actually seen that then. <laughs> so, yeah. It has a bathroom. They're, uh, well, let's hope. <laughs> So in comics, I mean, yeah, you were talking about Top Gun. Um, I think I was just listening to someone talk about it was like um, Top Gun and Crocodile Dundee and uh, uh, Ferris Bueller. No, there was a yeah, Ferris a Bueller. Sorry. Um, but in comics, which I guess is our, I think the Terminator was 1986, maybe, or was previous. Um, I'm gonna say that was a couple of years earlier. It was earlier, okay. Um, let's see. The big thing that people will remember, of course, is uh, Batman: Dark Knight Returns was coming out that year. Um, Watchmen started uh, maybe yep. through the year. Um. Mouse, um, and then um, two other like, but I mean, I think Man of Steel from uh, John Byrne, the rebooting Superman after Crisis, 
had must just ended. Yeah, it wasn't like the big attention getter as like Death of Superman later on, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, I think that was the we, first renumbering of Superman, though, right? Like they maybe that's it. That like there several things were being relaunched in the wake of Crisis in '86, and um, so you sort of have the fresh new beginnings of post-Crisis DC, and several of those. I mean. George Perez, Wonder Woman, John Byrne on Superman, um, Batman. Batman kept going. Kept going, but I forget. Batman had Batman Year One, though. Yeah, Year One came around out. And uh, also Born Again on Daredevil. That's during that year. Okay. So a couple of, I mean, Miller, even when he's not doing it all, is is writing a couple of very seminal uh, things. Very, you know, well-regarded series. Uh, Electra Assassin, I always bring up as we see in the uh, checklist. Yeah. Do you like? Did you like that one? Honestly, I haven't gone back to it in a while. Um, okay. Sankovic. I find it deeply confusing. <laughs> yeah, that's always an issue for me too. <laughs> I likes my comics straightforward and easy to read. Um, no, I, I really I have some love... idea what's going on. Yeah. I should, uh, I, I've been meaning to revisit it. But, um, you know, it's easy to look back and say the new universe was the disaster out of that. Um, it was apparently, um, you know, had several issues uh, against it to, to begin with. Like, they, they talk a lot about cutting the budget, not getting support from upstairs, and then not getting um, first top right uh top ranking creators for it um i think we're having a good time with it um yeah. i would definitely call it more mid list than like you know zero quality i mean yeah I, I i would think i was thinking about saving this for like this end of season one type discussion which we're going to do an episode for but, but yeah i think a lot of it is just its own sort of momentum like like the the comics internet comes out you know so there's a lot of stuff of like hey look let's look back at this failure and how dumb it is and you know everybody now you can find interviews and you can learn about the uh, money troubles and learn about you know people getting fired and let go and changes and stuff like that and say so like oh this must be a train wreck and then you read it and you look for things to prove your point that it's a train wreck kind of thing but but yeah really it's if, if you give it a, a fair shot and you're like oh let's find some good here and let's it's an interesting time capsule for 86 um most of what we've read so far has either been good or at least interesting yeah right? And, and we're and we have definitely dove into creator changes, which is usually a big knock. It's like, oh, new universe, they swap creators and artists all the time, and you know, everything's a mess. Um, they did, right? There's a lot of creator switch switcheroos. Um, but a lot of it they still kind of pull off, you know. It's like Nightmask has been pulling off the creator change thing pretty well. Um, you know, Kickers is doing okay. Uh, Mark Hazard had one writer for the beginning of it, and we've switched to the second writer. I think, mm. they, if anything, they've suffered from not having a regular artist. But 
Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really pretty good. I think it's just like the narrative that's out there hard is like, this is some garbage. Look at what they tried to do when DC was doing Watchmen. Ha ha ha. Yeah. But Watchmen was like probably not the most popular thing when it came out. It's just, it's, it's had legs and uh, it's well regarded and it's smart and thoughtful. But, you know, I think mostly like comics readers want Wolverine and stuff, right? So a bunch of comics about regular people isn't going to excite typical comics reader guy sometimes, you know? Yeah. I mean, you make a, I mean, it's probably hard to, harder to get buy-in from the start would be my guess. Yeah. I was six when it came out. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, if it doesn't jump off the strand and grab a six-year-old, I don't know. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have been reading Mark Hazard. Uh, mm, I would, probably not well, he doesn't use bad language, so you know. Anyway, um, yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I would say that's a it's a lot of interesting things um, being published around this time too. Um, you've been digging into a lot of that as well, um, so a good year for comics, definitely. Oh, for sure. Good year for um, pop culture, probably. I don't know the the. Uh, I'll forget the music as soon as I turn around. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the. I don't know. I have a thing where like some years I knew a lot of what was going on, and then some years I'm completely out of it. So this yeah. year I was reading a lot of comics. So this would be like firmly in the Michael Jackson era, right? Yeah, Michael Jackson, Madonna, that sort of. Yeah. Good times, good times. So, let's see. The danger zone. Danger zone. <laughs> the top gun. Well, I'll never hear that without thinking of Archer now. Anyway. Um, so, anyway, well, uh, uh, let's wrap it up for this week's episode. Um, next time we'll be covering um, Justice Number Six, designer drug manufacturers. The police can't jail them. The courts can't stop them. But no one is immune from justice. Written and penciled by Jeff Isherwood. Mm, we got writing and penciling from him. Now. I'm looking forward to that. If that pans out, I mean, I like a, a uh, single creator vision. Sometimes it's awesome. Do it all, Jeff. Work faster. <laughs> Doing yeah, and, my best. Uh, and our last number six is DP7 number six. Sure to be lots of words. Uh, will DP7 do, themse- do themselves what the clinic cannot? Mm-hmm. Unless DP7 can resolve their differences with themselves, DP7 will be no more. Ah, plus, uh. introducing the sweatshop? The meanest bunch of guys in the new universe. Split up. Written by Mark Grunewald, drawn by Paul Ryan, as always, which we are thankful. So, uh, once again, you can find us at kickersinc.com and you can find the Super Sleuth Sweepstakes uh, entry there. And uh, you too can have a chance to win issue ones of all the new universe comics. 
Um, we mentioned that we'll have a recap issue uh, episode coming up um, after we knock off the uh, the last of the number sixes. We'll try to do a second intro episode, um, recapping things, talking about where we have gone and where we'll be going. So look for that in a couple weeks. And till then, we'll see you back at the spinner rack. See you next time.